Jesus went home, and the crowd came together again, so that Jesus and the disciples could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying, he's gone out of his mind. And the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul. And by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. And Jesus called them to him. And he spoke to them in parables, saying, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided... He cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and for whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mothers and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Sometimes it feels like people are living in a different reality, doesn't it? (laughs) Like take this story we just heard from the Gospel of Mark. It's only the third chapter which means Jesus is really just getting started. But already, he's called disciples, including a tax collector, to follow him. He's healed people and cast out demons. He's publicly forgiven people. He ate dinner with a bunch of dirty sinners. And he reinterpreted sacred religious laws. So at this point, everyone is trying to figure out what he is doing. And how he's doing it. Some people, like Jesus' family, have decided he must be out of his mind. A poor peasant from the middle of nowhere, without any authority, doing these kinds of things, that is not acceptable or appropriate. Jesus lived in a culture of hierarchy and honor and shame, and he was breaking every social norm, reaching for a status way too far above him and behaving in a way that was bringing shame and embarrassment to his family. People were starting to whisper that he was out of his mind, using a Greek word that that means he's standing outside of what's acceptable. And so his family has decided It's time to put an end to all of it. Enough is enough. It's not just embarrassing, it's also dangerous because Jesus is putting himself on a collision course 
with the social, political, and religious leaders of his time. There is no way that's going to end well. Your family's looking for you, Jesus. Why don't you come outside and talk to them? This is an intervention, but one motivated by love. Now, other people like the scribes and religious leaders have decided that Jesus is evil, or at least he's being used by evil. They're trying to figure out how it is that Jesus has these powers which defy logic and are clearly supernatural. He's healing people miraculously. He's casting out demons, however we understand that today. Where does that power come from? Clearly not from somewhere good, because at the same time, Jesus is also redefining religious laws that came from God and have endured for thousands of years. He's challenging generations who have helped to interpret those laws so people can understand and practice them faithfully. These religious leaders, they have a responsibility to care for and protect their people, to watch over them, to stand for what they have been taught is right and true. And the only conclusion they can draw is that Jesus must be using some sort of satanic power to do these things. He has a demon. This is a denouncement, but one motivated by faith and genuine concern. And then there's Jesus, who simply says that he's doing God's will. It's incredible that people can look at the exact same situation and see things so differently. He's out of his mind. He's evil. He's doing God's will. It's like people are living in different realities. And yet every person in this story thought that they were doing the right thing. Every person believed they were the ones who were seeing the situation clearly. They understood what was really going on, and they were responding in a faithful way. And I point this out because our culture encourages us to demonize and vilify anyone who thinks differently than we do. So it's important, it's important to recognize that even people we disagree with can be motivated by good and a desire to be faithful. Even when people are wrong, it can come from a place of love, care, concern. And that doesn't make them right. It doesn't make evil actions good or acceptable but it does help us to better understand and empathize with one another so we can create positive change. We're living in a time when it often feels like people are living in different realities, totally different realities that determine how we interpret and understand the world. And that's not an accident. Our media sources are designed to reinforce 
what we already think and feel, leading us to believe that the way we think is how everyone thinks, or at least everyone who's decent and reasonable, and so it must be right. Then they do everything possible to keep our attention, to reinforce the reality they're presenting, because that's how they make money. A few months ago, I watched a documentary called The Social Dilemma. And as they interviewed dozens of people who had worked for social media and tech companies, every one of them said that social media is designed not just to reinforce our realities that we live in, but to keep us using their services by purposefully and intentionally driving us to increasingly extreme content, like an addict who builds up a tolerance, and that this makes us and the realities we believe more extreme. And when you combine these sorts of social forces with pre-existing political divisions and the intentional spread of misinformation, you can create different realities. You can make conspiracy theories seem like truth. Evil things seem virtuous and good. You can make good things appear evil and dangerous. You can divide a house or a community or a nation until it is no longer able to stand, until it feels like we live in different realities. And so when troops are used to violently drive away peaceful protesters gathered at a church, to make room for a photo op that uses the Bible as a prop, some people see desecration and others see justified behavior. Or when Dr. Seuss's family decides to stop printing a few of his books, some people think it's good and others see it as part of a concerted attack on our culture. Or when we talk about teaching the full story of American history in our classrooms, especially as it relates to race, some people agree with with Tom Hanks, who said in an interview just this week that we should stop the battle to whitewash curriculum because America's history is messy, but knowing that makes us wiser and stronger people while others see it as an effort to attack or diminish or undermine our country. They're out of their minds. They're evil. They're doing God's will. Sounds familiar, right? Sometimes it feels like we really do live in different realities, and I'm not picking on anybody for that. My point is that these differing realities that are being created and reinforced hold us captive and don't care about our well-being. And some of them are opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Too often the church has embraced this wishy-washy tolerance that says everyone can believe and do whatever they think is right and everyone's opinion is equally good. But that's not true. And at the beginning of Pride Month, 
I'm especially aware that the church's fear of ever rocking the boats, of making people mad, of speaking the cost, the truth at a cost, uh, or correcting a wrong, that's done real harm to people. In our reading this morning, Jesus' family was wrong. He wasn't out of line and grasping for a status far above him. As God, he was claiming the status and authority that rightfully belonged to him. And the religious leaders were wrong. He wasn't doing evil. He wasn't using demonic powers. He wasn't desecrating sacred laws. He was using the power of God to heal people and set them free to teach them a more faithful way to understand God. He was inviting everyone, including his family and the religious leaders, including us, into a different reality. A reality that he calls God's kingdom. You know, a few years ago, the church that I was serving, the youth there got together to talk about some social issues. And there was young, one young person in the group wh- whose views were clearly in the minority and was really vocal. The rest of the group was getting frustrated, and, and I did my best to try to offer this young man a different way of seeing things, and it made him, it made him angry. <laughs> After the conversation, he took me to the side, and he lectured me for being biased. He told me that my job as a pastor is to be unbiased and have no agenda, especially when teaching and preaching. And I remember asking him where in the world he got that idea. Because as a pastor, I most definitely have a bias and an agenda. And it's to tell you about Jesus all the time with the hope and the goal that you will experience for yourselves and be transformed to see reality the way Jesus teaches us to. I'm constantly trying to reinforce what we could call your Jesus bias. in the hope that you'll come to see, understand, and interact with reality in the way that Jesus did. And Jesus spoke about this new reality that he was inviting people into, this reality he called God's kingdom more than anything else in the Gospels. He spoke about it in the present tense, saying that God's reality is all around us, here and now, When he began his ministry in the Gospel of Mark, he proclaimed that the reality of God had come near, and then he called people to join him. He said that in God's reality, the lowly are lifted up, and the powerless and oppressed are given a special place at the table. In God's reality, everyone is precious and valued, made in God's image with dignity and worth, that cannot be denied. God's reality is a time and place where where love motivates actions and words, where the truth is always told, where the diversity of God's creation is celebrated, where caring for others is, is more important than wealth or power, 
where race and nationality and ethnicity and gender and age do not matter, where the stranger is a beloved neighbor, we now have the chance to welcome and know where what we have is willingly shared so that all have enough, where people are set free from everything that seeks to hold them down or hold them back, where grace and mercy and forgiveness reign and are showered freely on those who are undeserving, where justice for the downtrodden is found, where weapons are set down and violence is abandoned, where broken things are made whole and right, and where things that are wrong are corrected and redeemed. This is the reality Jesus said he was bringing. And it's not just something distant for us to experience one day in glory, but it's something for us to know and experience here and now. This is the reality we're called to live in the reality we're called to embrace, the reality meant to motivate our actions and attitudes and thoughts so that our lives become dedicated to the task of making this reality more real, more concrete, more pervasive in this world, like a midwife helping to birth new life until this reality is known and experienced by all people. Jesus has invited us into this reality. And the truth is that it is better than any other we could construct or experience. So what reality are you living in? Amen.